And this is a theme in a lot of literature is the poet can see better than the scientist than the person focused on natural things. There's something he sees through, through the, the vision of imagination that other people can't see. Welcome to Classical Etc. You're in the studio with Memoria Press. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Classical Etc. My name is Jessica Gardner, and I am here with Paul Schaefer, Tanya Charlton, and Martin Cothran. <laughs> and you know, if you've listened to the show, we usually talk about what we're reading. That's how we start our episodes. Speaking for myself, I haven't turned a page in a book since the last time we recorded an episode. Anybody else? Not a page. I'm still on page 790. <laughs> <laughs> Martin. <laughs> I'm on page eight of something. Okay. Paul. But I can't say anything about it yet. I haven't turned a page since then, but I can talk about another book. <laughs> oh, oh, we're talking about a story, so we it's are. less necessary. We are. Obviously, we are recording this same day as another episode. But as promised, we are discussing a short story today, Nathaniel Hawthorne's The Great Stoneface, written in 1840, and it's part of a broader collection of stories he did on the White Mountains. So to begin, I'd like just to do an overview of this piece. I was going to ask Martin, but we all know if I did that, we could just read along together with the story. <laughs> so Summary. Summary. Brief. Concise. I don't, I don't know why I take this. Tanya? Yes. Um, so this takes place in New Hampshire, right? It does. Uh -huh. And there mm -hmm. is a rock formation called the Great Stone Face. And this little boy um, grows up basically underneath it mm. in, the, in his village town and with, with his mother. And there is a legend that one day the great stone face, there will be somebody that comes to the town who has that face. Mm -hmm. And um, the face is described as the features were noble. The expression was at once grand and sweet, um, a warm heart that embraced all mankind and its affection. So it was a, it was something people would strive to be. And so this little boy was fascinated and would spend hours looking at the great stone face. And as he grew up and grew older, people started who had, were from the town started coming back. A series of three people, I think. I love the names mm -hmm. because they're they're like um, they're like Dickens names mm -hmm. or um, in that they tell you something about Bunyan, the character. right. So the first one to come back was Gathergold, and he was like a King Midas. Mm -hmm. And um, so everybody thought when he came back, he was so successful that he was the stone face. But mm -hmm. it turns out he's not. And he loses all his wealth, and at that point, people decide he's not the great stone face because he's lost whatever value mm -hmm. he had to them. And then, so Ernest is disappointed because he really wants to see who has the great stone face. And then Blood and Thunder, mm -hmm. who is a successful um, soldier. Commander. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. and has made a good career there. So he comes back, but it, it turns out that he is not the great stone face. Um, and then finally a politician comes back who grew up there named Old Stony Fizz. I didn't understand that name. 
what it mm-hmm. had to I didn't get that. Um, but old Stony Fizz, they thought, again, because he was a successful politician, mm-hmm. that he was the great stone face. But he wasn't. So um, then finally a poet comes, and the poet then um, talks to Ernest and recognizes in Ernest, I think, another poetic soul. And he recognizes that Ernest himself is the great stone face. Um, So Ernest has spent his entire life, at this point he's old. Well, he's got gray hair. That doesn't mean you're old, does it? No, no, it doesn't. (laughs) No, or you could be old and not not have gray hair. That's right. Well, you could if you have a good hairdresser. <laughs> um, so I didn't know. I mean, when we, I won't go into any more detail at this point. That's the mm-hmm. gist of it. But I do think each character is interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which we can get into. Yeah. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Paul, I want to kick this over to you. So much of the story has n- nature and parts of nature as as a character and mm-hmm. as a lover of the land. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you talk to talk about that and how that affects the story? Yeah. Well, I do first of all want to say that the great stone face was a real rock formation that I remember when I went to uh, high school in New Hampshire, we would regularly go mm. into the white mountains to hike on weekends and we'd drive by it all the time. And it was one of those things that you just couldn't help but look at. So like all of this like really makes sense to me. Mm. Um but I you know the the whole aspect of like Ernest in the story learns from the great stone face. Mm. He um you know it it talks about that it's just an education um to to look at him and to be under him uh but then you know, Hawthorne being a romantic, you know, he, he says things that go, go a little far. Um, you know, he, he says, um, that with regards to the, the, the people living under the great stone face, that it's, it says they knew not that the great stone face had become a teacher to him and that the sentiment which was expressed in it would enlarge the young man's heart and fill it with wider and deeper sympathies than other hearts. They knew not that thence would come a better wisdom than could be learned from books and a better life than could be molded on the defaced example of other human lives. Hmm. And while I I do agree, I mean, there's so much I learned from the land that I don't learn from books. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, if the only, it seems there's wording in here that seems to say like, where Ernest is getting his compassion and his empathy and everything is from nature and which goes a little far, mm-hmm. I think. Right. Well, he's a reader too, because he's mm-hmm. read this poetry. So we know he's a reader. We find that out at the end. I think, mm-hmm. you know, yes. the, the whole time it's just, he's being educated by the, stone, you know, he's just, right. he's being, and he's contemplating the great stone face. And I do think there's, there's some fascinating comments about that. It's the countenance. It's not just the facial features because every every person that comes, we're like, oh, he's got this big forehead, like you know, like the great stone face does, mm-hmm. and so it's got to be him. And and there's there's comments where it says like Ernest recognizes that in the great stone face, there there's certain things in a, in a in a face that you can see the compassion or the 
the understanding or that sort of thing that that these men that were supposedly the ones sent didn't have. Mm-hmm. Right. So even if because one of them like he like he resembles <clears throat> the face in physically, but he's like I, I but you don't see the right. features. Mm-hmm. Um and so all of that tension there, right? Uh, that we are formed by the land. I, I mean, I would agree with I, 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 you, we, we are all fans of Wendell Berry, mm-hmm. you know, and Wendell mm-hmm. and his, and his rootedness, right? The land does form you. You, you, mm-hmm. you do become part of it. But at the same time, you know, we can go to a point where we think that, um, kind of what we were talking about in the last podcast of, of, just letting things happen instead of formation that that would go a little too far. I would mm. think mm. that's the, my, those are my general thoughts. Well, that's, on. that's good. Anything else that you, that, and this is for anybody that as you were reading, you thought, Hmm, I don't know about that. Well, the, the thing, chief thing I noticed about this, it, because Hawthorne, if you know anything about Hawthorne, he's, famous for these sort of this allegorical treatment of things mm. and, and these symbols. And he's, mm-hmm. he's been accused of being very heavy handed mm. about this. Uh, the last thing I actually read was uh, just a couple days ago, uh, uh, another Hawthorne short story. And in the discussion that we had about that story, that, 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 uh, that fact was, was discussed about him, him, him being heavy handed in his symbolism. Mm. And yet, it's you can say he's heavy handed in it, but the symbolism goes really deep down in some of his stories. And of course this, there's all these theological things that I noticed mm-hmm. in this story, these theological implications to the story. I mean, is the great stone face in some sense, God? Mm. Um, yes. And, and we have, but if, if he is, then Ernest is Jesus. <laughs> that, well, the, the very last, um, when, when he goes up and it's the sermon on the Mount, Mm-hmm. At the end, right. when, he, when Ernest mm-hmm. is talking and he's mm-hmm. going, in, mm-hmm. and it's it's, I'm I'm thinking, oh, this this is the Sermon on the Mount. This is clearly that's confirming once again mm-hmm. my theory that this is this is some sort of theological story or a story with theological implications. Mm-hmm. Um, that and one and another one of those things is when he talks about uh, how um, if you he says, true it is that if the spectator approached too near. He lost the outline of mm. the gigantic visage and could discern only a heap of ponderous and gigantic rocks mm. piled in chaotic ruin one upon the other. Retracing his steps, however, the wondrous features would again be seen, and the farther he withdrew from them, the more like a human face with all its original divinity intact they did appear. So, so isn't that kind of like the world? We get so wrapped up in some particular thing mm-hmm. that it's just a thing and we don't see its context and all of creation, which would make us think of a divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so it was a, it was the theological implication. But the divinity story. was walking around with them and they mm-hmm. were trying to find it. They were trying to find it in very successful people mm-hmm. who were, Temporally successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who were considered great right. by Be- men. Being rich, being mm-hmm. a famous politician, mm-hmm. being a famous soldier. And each each one he presents as a type. And then there's right. this right. mild, humble man living among them all these years, and they've totally missed him. Mm-hmm. Well, and he's not self-centered, right? Mm-hmm. Everything, he's constantly looking 
for the other person yes. to be. Oh, look at, read the end. Read the, the last, the uh, last, the, sin, whole, the whole paragraph. The prophecy was fulfilled. Um, then, yeah, the prophecy was fulfilled. But Ernest, having finished what he had to say, took the poet's arm and walked slowly homeward, still hoping that some wiser and better man than himself would by and by appear bearing a resemblance to the great stone face. And, but this also has all the problems of a story that has theological implications mm. because is if we if we say I and mean, clearly clearly uh, Ernest is the the sort of Christ the figure savior. in the book right mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the story and you know when I when you're when you're teaching literature you have to confront this quite a lot mm. where you have a story where there is some kind of Christ figure I mean it's very common in literature and you have to explain to them what a Christ figure is it's not Christ you can't just take that character and say he's just like Jesus. he's not. He, but in a certain way, he symbolized. You know, you read the Lord of the Rings, and and Frodo is a Christ figure, and Gandalf right. is a Christ figure, and Aragorn. In their different ways, mm-hmm. right? It's like mm-hmm. it's like light being refracted through a, a prism, and so y- you you can't take that too far because because mm-hmm. then you have him as being the savior, and there's there's aspects about him that do you know Jesus knows who he is, mm-hmm. you know he's not like Aragorn in the movie. He's like Aragorn in, in you know in, in the book he knows who he is, mm-hmm. um, but so you have to be able to to know exactly how far you can take the theological mm-hmm. reading of something. But it's clearly here. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I think the you know one of the messages of it is that if if we are to look for those people that are actually. Um, the the greatest because that's the prophecy itself says um the purport was the that at some future day a child should be born hereabouts who is destined to become the greatest and noblest personage of his time and whose countenance and manhood should bear an exact resemblance to the great stone face so the greatest and the noblest people are the humblest mm-hmm. right you know that's that's i think the the tension that is really being highlighted in this whole thing because it's, it's the proud ones that keep coming back and that we naturally say those are the ones that are the greatest. And yet you let time pass and all of that will fade away. I thought it was interesting too, in that part that you just read um, following right, right beyond that, where it says not a few old fashioned people and young ones in the ardor of their hope, still cherished an enduring faith in this old prophecy. But the others who had seen more of the world had watched and waited till they were weary. You know, that theme of the youth having hope and imagination and wonder and mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. And then as you get older, you become more cynical and you Because you've been dis- in this, court, in this case, they've been, dis- yeah, they've been disappointed. And the, mm-hmm. the thing you thought was... The, should have the been the great yeah. thing. But right. I would say that Ernest never lost that. And I thought his name actually mm-hmm. Ernest, was very appropriate, I know. right? Well, all these names. What about the Reverend? What was his name? Battle Blast? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Reverend Dr. Battle Blast. Mm. No. Um, I think I met him a time or two. <laughs> oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What but, do you think about... Um, Well, I lost it. Go ahead, Martin. And well, I was oh, going to say, no, no. <laughs> the, um, 
you, the the great stone face is sort of a symbol of God, but it's not God because in that very second paragraph at the very beginning, it says the great stone face then was a work of nature. So it's, it can't be God because God is the highest thing. He's greater even than nature. Right. So in her mood of, maje- of majesty, of majestic, I think if this is a misprint, somebody scanned this, uh, work of nature in her mood of majestic playfulness. Um, and the, the great stone face is like you were saying, there, there are characteristics mm. in this that, that some people don't see. I mean, there's, there's some uncle- there's something unclear about it depending on where you are in relation to it you know mm-hmm. the closer you come to it the less it seems mm-hmm. like what it is the further away you go which makes anything hard to, to determine um if it's dependent upon your closeness or you know your, your perception your based on where you are yeah mm-hmm. um what I was going to ask you was what what do you think about the poet being the one a poet in the story being the person who discovers what everybody's missed all of these years, the people that live there with him, mm-hmm. a visiting poet. Like, is well, there a clear, significance well, to that Well, I, I think part of it is he's put near the end. I don't know. I, I haven't, I'd have to think through this again to, to, to know if, if these pretenders, if that's what they are, um, if they grow more and more like what people are looking for. No, or, less. Or, mm-hmm. Less. Like, until, or even if that's the case, less and less until it comes to the poet, I think. And this is a theme in a lot of literature is the poet can see better right. than the scientist, yes. than the mm-hmm. person that's focused right. on natural things. There's something he sees through, through the, the vision of imagination that other people can't see. So I think that in, in being a writer, Hawthorne would naturally want to push that, <laughs> that mm-hmm. uh, theme. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's, the, um, the first one, gold, gather gold, um, he loses all of his wealth and the people. So he, I thought it was interesting that he built on the site of his father's farmhouse and he mm-hmm. builds this Midas like mansion on replacing the simplicity that he grew up with. And then he loses all of his gold. So mm-hmm. um, people don't like him anymore. Um, and then they, it says, so that though the great man's name seems to have been Gather Gold, he might just as suitably have been nicknamed Scatter Copper. There were so <laughs> many like, great lines in, in here. Yeah. I mean, I... <laughs> yes. Yeah. And well, then... Um, so it says his wealth, which was the body and spirit of his existence, had disappeared before his death, leaving nothing of him but a living skeleton covered over with a wrinkled yellow skin. Mm-hmm. So there's the first disillusionment. Mm-hmm. And then um, Blood and Thunder, the soldier, he, Ernest had imagined that this long-looked-for personage would appear in the character of a man of peace, uttering wisdom and doing good and making people happy, but taking an habitual breath of view. With all his simplicity, he contended that providence should choose its own method of blessing mankind and could conceive that this great end might be effected even by a warrior in a bloody sword should inscrutable wi- wisdom see fit to order matters so. So he was thinking that it would not be. Ernest was thinking that the face would not be a soldier, would not be mm-hmm. somebody who 
had been on a battlefield. So there was there was something in the countenance of the great stone face that does that not map onto a violent that kind a of violent yes, right? life. Right. Well, and and what was interesting is with Mister Gathergold, Ernest was like, "There's no physical resemblance right. in in his face," <laughs> and then with the soldier, it's. I'm not seeing this this kindness and compassion. That's right. The gentle wisdom, the deep, broad, tender sympathies were altogether wanting in mm-hmm. Old Blood and Thunder's mm-hmm. visage. And then Old Stony Fizz. Now that's a funny. That's mm-hmm. a funny one. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this when he's sent out to when he's running for president. And so he goes back home to shake everybody's hands. And then it says, of course, he had no other object than to shake hands with his fellow citizens and neither thought nor cared about any effect which his progress through the country might have (laughs) upon the election. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We all believe that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Can we look at the poet for a minute? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I tried to bring you you there. Well, let me, I I I just, (laughs) old Stony Fizz, before we get there, there was one line that I thought, was was interesting because in every single one of these people, there's there's comments made by the townspeople and Ernest kind of is engaging with them in some way. And when it comes to Old Stony Fizz, um, Ernest is saying, there's no, I, I don't see any likeness to the old, the, the, the great stone face. And then it says, then so much the worse for the great stone face answered his neighbor. And again, he set up a shout for Old Stony Fizz. So at this point, mm-hmm. like even the the person that they're looking for has been elevated above. We don't care whether it resembles the Great Stone Face because we're just so excited about this savior. about this person yeah. who's come who's come back to us. But I thought the interesting thing about him was when Ernest is despondent because this is not the Great Stone Face, and he says. For this was the saddest of his disappointments, to behold a man who might have fulfilled the prophecy and had not willed to do so. Mm. So it was like he's got he had it in him, but he 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 wasn't. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't latch on to the goodness that it would have taken. Yeah, because there's that there's that whole paragraph, a couple a couple of things, a couple of paragraphs above that where it talks about his brow. And these features are boldly and strongly hewn, but then it says something had been originally left out or had departed. Yes. Right? He really did have that opportunity. Yes. And he decided that wasn't what he wanted to be. Yeah. It says mm-hmm. he had a, always a weary gloom in the deep caverns of his eyes, as of a child that has outgrown its playthings, or a man of mighty faculties and little aims, whose life with all its high performances was vague and empty, because no high purpose had endowed it with reality. He just, yeah. he had all this success, but he was really an empty shell of a person. Yeah. And that was the most disappointment. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we're, to, now, to, now we're to the poet. Okay. And the, the poet, he's the final um, candidate here mm-hmm. for the Great Stone Face. Uh, and he is different in many ways from the others. And, and it says in here, is Ernest listened to the poet. He imagined that the great great stone face was bending forward to listen too. Mm-hmm. He gazed earnestly into the poet's glowing eyes. Who are you, my strangely gifted guest? He said. The poet laid his finger on the volume that, of poetry that Ernest had been reading. You have read these poems, said he. 
you know me then, for I wrote them. Now, that, that's, that's an interesting little statement right there. Uh, you know me by my works, mm-hmm. right? Yes. We know God through his works in, mm-hmm. in nature, right? But, so it's, you're still thinking this, this, this divinity theme here. Um, again, and still more earnestly than before, Ernest examined the poet's features, then turned towards the great stone face, then back with an uncertain aspect to his guest. But his countenance fell. He shook his head and sighed. Wherefore are you sad, inquired the poet. Because, replied Ernest, all through life I have awaited the fulfillment of a prophecy. And when I read these poems, I hoped that it might be fulfilled in you. Now, this was the best of the candidates, but right. he's, st- he's still not it. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the poet says, you hoped, faintly smiling, to find in me the likeness of the great stone face. And you are disappointed, as formerly with Mr. Gathergold and old blood and thunder, and old stony fizz. Yes, Ernest, er, yes, Ernest, it is my doom. You must add my name to the illustrious three and record another failure of your hopes. For in shame and sadness do I speak it, Ernest. I am not worthy to be typified by yonder benign and majestic image. Now, that's different, seems to me, that, from the others. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. that's exactly the kind of guy you do want to, that's to right. think is the candidate, that's is, right. is the, hum- mm-hmm. the one with some humility. The humble one, right. And yet mm-hmm. he's saying he's not. He knows he's not. People are thinking he might be, but he's not. Well, and and the very fact that he arrives in secret would speak to even more of his candidacy, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That he could be. I don't think people are thinking. Were people thinking that he might it's just, be? It's just earnest. Ernest oh, is the yeah, just one. Ernest. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so Ernest says, and why? He pointed to the volume. Are not those thoughts divine? The mm-hmm. stuff you've written is this, what you speak is divine. Mm-hmm. They have the strain of divinity. I think this is the most important paragraph in the, in the story right here. They have a strain of the divinity, replied the poet. You can hear them, hear in them the far-off echo of a heavenly song. But my life, dear Ernest, has not corresponded with my thought. I have had grand dreams, but they have been only dreams because I have lived, and that too, by my own choice among poor and mean realities. Sometimes even, shall I dare to say it, I lack faith in the grandeur, the beauty, and the goodness which my own works are said to have made more evident in nature and in human life. Why then, pure seeker of the good and true, shouldst thou hope to find me in yonder image of the divine? And I'm, there was a lot of things in the poet, and I'm thinking, because if you take this just from a divine angle here, theological angle, mm-hmm. where um, Ernest is the Christ figure. Mm-hmm. Who directly precedes Christ? Who do people think is the, the Christ? John the Baptist. It's John the Baptist. I think the poet is very much a John the Baptist figure here. He's, well, that he, could he, be. He, he, mm-hmm. he knows somebody is coming, yeah. but he's not him. I didn't think about that, but he yes, has a that role. Could be. But, but it's yeah, he point. has a role. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's even it's even him, right? That, that it's that the says, poet that says, mm-hmm. "Behold, that says, behold, behold." Yep. Mm-hmm. Ernest yes. is himself the likeness of the great yes. stone faced. Mm-hmm. You're the, you're the, you know, I'm I I may appear to be one, but but yeah. you're the one, right? And mm-hmm. nobody nobody could see it until the poet said it, yes. right? Yes. That's right. The, through the whole his whole right. life, nobody ever saw it, and he was mm-hmm. he was. Only and all poet. of the all of the descriptions of Ernest about you know the kind of life that he was living mm-hmm. in their community was one of selflessness mm-hmm. and 
Um, he was kind and neighborly and neglected no duty. Mm-hmm. I love the paragraph. It's almost towards the bottom where it talks about Ernest and it says his words had power because they accorded mm-hmm. with his thoughts. His thoughts had reality and depth because they harmonized with the life with which he had lived. It was not mere breath that this preacher uttered. They were the words of life because a life of good deeds and holy love is melted into them. Pearls, pure and rich, had been dissolved into this precious drop. Yeah, I thought it was beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah I'm mm-hmm. glad you pointed that out because that because I think that really speaks to what makes a man great right yes. where where you're you're a a person of one piece what you mm-hmm. what what you say accords with your thoughts you know your thoughts mm-hmm. have reality um because they're in harmony with your life like mm-hmm. it's in it, that going back to sort of the the idea of nature mm-hmm. right it is in fact where where we conform ourselves to the world, right? To, to the creation that we live in and not just create our own artificial world where we really find fulfillment, I think is, uh, I would agree on, with Hawthorne on that one. Yeah. Mm. Right. And again, you can't, you can't tie this too closely. You, no, you and you could dip- read it. You could read it as a secular story. Sure, I but mean, I mean, it's clearly, clearly, Hawthorne intends it to be theological. We're in making it theological. Mm-hmm. You don't think Hawthorne sees it? As I don't way? know enough about Hawthorne to know. Oh, well, I, I think there's clearly, clearly the, the, uh, the great stone face mm. is is a a god figure in well, the story. I would, I, mean, I would like to. I think that is not an accident. I would like to research Hawthorne a little more because he's right in the period of romanticism, right? Like everything in romanticism. He's in New England in the 19th century and it is a time where Pur- Puritanism is deteriorating and it's turning into Unitarianism, mm-hmm. but that's still religious. They still know the old story. Uh, and so I, I just, I, I don't think these observations we're making are, are accidental at all. Well, I don't think they're accidental, but I'd, I would like to know a little more about Hawthorne hmm. than I do. I always hmm. should look up the author. Maybe that's some homework yeah. for us. That's hmm. homework. Yes. I thought it was a great story. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm-hmm. And um, I would read it again. But I, I you know, hmm. I, I like doing this with a short story. Mm-hmm. I'm not a mm-hmm. big short story fan because I like to get deeper into the meat of a character. And but they're I feel great like teaching instruments. They are great teaching instruments. And so I would just say if anybody has a story, you know, that they would like us to discuss, mm-hmm. we're, we're up for it. Okay. You know, yeah. the, you know, these people are going to inundate us. <laughs> well, but that's better be than, than us because when we try to come up with one, either one of us has already read it or one of us has to go read it and see whether we, you know, what, right. what we think about it. And so it, it would be nice just to have a list that people give us that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they have enjoyed and would, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, they, they're, they're, they're great teaching instruments because they're short. Mm-hmm. And so you can, you can treat, you know, cause if you're, if you're dealing with a novel, you're going through this for weeks and you only, only mm-hmm. can only take a little piece of it in, in each class. But with a short story, you can do a whole short story in one class. You mm-hmm. can analyze it. You can discuss it. Mm-hmm. You can take it apart. And um, and so that that's why I think they're so good. And I also think that um, Hawthorne is a great person to to is a the stories that Hawthorne writes are great stories to to discuss because mm. of the very almost surface 
allegorical elements mm-hmm. too. Yes, they're accessible. It's very easy to detect. Substantive. So, yeah, yeah, if you've got if you've got students who are not used to to you know really trying to think deeply about a story. This is a great introduction. Yeah, Hawthorne does some of your work for you, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I always, this was, a, I taught this story um, when I was teaching. Um, there, uh, uh, Dr. Heidegger's Experiment is another mm. great Hawthorne story. It's, it's I think, shorter than this. Um, the Birthmark. Mm. Oh, The Birthmark is really good. Um, it's, a, it's about, a, his, his wife has a birthmark and he's a doctor. And he he wants to remove this. She's perfect, except for this birthmark. And he wants to remove this birthmark, but in doing so, bad things happen. So, oh gosh, oh yeah, it's uh, no. There, he, but he's just he's got story after story after story that where he's doing the kind of thing he's doing. In his. Mm-hmm. And it was short stories. You can you can put a whole lot more weight on a little bit of word. You know, on just right. one, a single word mm-hmm. or a phrase. Right. Than you can in a novel. Yes, mm-hmm. you can. Get, you're immediately, very quickly, um, have the themes yes. and the yes. questions that you right. would want to ask. And if you want to merge Hawthorne a little bit more with classical education itself, uh, go get yourself um, the Wonder Tales. Mm. And um, was this, there's a second volume. We should those. sell that. Why don't we? Sell I don't that? know. We were working on. I think mm. I was working on something maybe mm. when Cheryl passed. Yes. So Martin, why don't we? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not twice told tales, uh, not, uh, but but there's a there's another book that's a sequel, and it's basically the the Greek myths retold in the context of a little inn in the Adirondacks or some someplace mm. up in New that's England. That's fun. Oh, it's they're really yeah. well done. You taught really well done. you taught Nick. Yeah, well, yeah using Nick was that in my book. class when mm-hmm. I used those books. Mm. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Well, this has been great. It is. It's fun, Aww. isn't it? It is fun. Something different. Well, thanks for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed and followed along with us in The Great Stone Face by Hawthorne. You can find it anywhere online. If you haven't read it yet, you can just Google that. It's free. And if you'd like to send us your suggestions, you can comment on our YouTube channel or go to our website, memoriapress.com, and you can contact us there. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us today on Classical Etc. by Memoria Press. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about Memoria Press, please go to memoriapress.com. This has been Classical Etc. We're so glad you joined us, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Memoria Press Podcast Network, providing a classical Christian perspective on the world of education. To learn more about Memoria Press, visit us at memoriapress.com. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.